Okay, guys. So uh, you're like, hey, we're starting Matthew, and, not, and only one passage was Matthew. Uh, the reason why I wanted Kim to read those passages is to remind us that uh, in the church, God's word is what we use to navigate life. It has everything we need to know for life itself. The way you live, the way you work, the way you commune, the way that you eat, the way that you relate, the way that you spend money, everything that we do is the word of God has something to say about it, and it's the word of God. Now, we don't worship the Bible, okay? The Pharisees actually got criticized for that. Um, we worship the God who gave us the Bible, amen? And today, we're going to be doing a little overview of Matthew. We're going to be uh, launching into this journey through the book or the testimony of Matthew as a gathering of brothers and sisters in Christ who have been called to faith by the Father through the ministry of a man named Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we're here. This is what we're doing, guys. This is not just some popularity contest and, you know, uh, in your eyes I'm winning it and you want to come in here and see what I have to say. It's we're getting together to be equipped to learn what God says to believe that what God says is greater than what Biden says. And some of you go, oh, well, of course. But greater than what Trump says, greater than what Putin says, greater than what Joe Rogan says, greater than name the person that you think has something to say in your life. And we go, this is what life is about. And when I leave this building, I want to do what this God says to do. And I want to follow him. And I want to obey him. And I want to love him. And I want to enjoy him. I want to make much of this world for his kingdom purposes. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to be about. So that's what we're here for, here for, is we're here to gather, to learn, to grow, to be built up, so that we can leave here and go be a people who are not scared of balloons flying over Montana getting shot down South Carolina, who are people who are not scared of what could become of this war in Ukraine between Russia and us. Uh, who are not scared of what might happen in 2024, a group of people that every single time a nation rises and then crumbles still remains. A group of people who go, we still live according to this world, regardless of what your declarations of independence might say. Regardless of what kind of freedoms you might tout, we've got freedom. And you can imprison us, you can slave us, you can beat us, you can rob us, you can do whatever you want. But to live is Christ for us, and to die is gain. And so today, we're going to begin our journey through this testimony of John, and I'm super excited. Because like you, there was a man named Matthew, and like you, he was living his life the way that he wanted to live his life, when all of a sudden, this man named Jesus comes along and ruins everything, interrupts his life, and invites him to come on a journey with him to do something that Matthew never expected for his life, okay? Now, who is Matthew? What's Matthew about? Matthew is a Jewish guy, and uh, he is kind of like a CPA, but he's more like an IRS agent, okay? Um, but it's even worse than that. He's not just an IRS agent. To better understand the kind of man that Matthew was, imagine that he was a Canadian IRS agent, and he showed up at your house with the gall to say, you need to pay taxes to Canada. Now, would that upset you a little bit? Yeah? You know what you probably would do? I know you. You would post on Facebook about it. How dare this guy? Right? But it's actually worse than that. Now, imagine that uh, Canada had taken over the United States through brutal wars, subjugation, tyranny, and Canada had extended its military arm into Cody, Wyoming, placing its soldiers, its people on the streets of Cody. They could pull you over when they wanted. They could take your, uh, your business when they chose. They could steal your children. They could uh, educate them in the ways of Canada, which probably has something to do with maple syrup, so it's probably not that bad, right? Um, but they, they could change and do anything. Now, imagine that here in Cody. And they're posted up. Then I want you to imagine somebody on your community team decides to go and work for the Canadian IRS. And they show up at your door with some Canadian soldier saying, hey, you better pay or else. And they're growing rich on your hard work, rich on your money as they join with this enemy who is brutally subjugating. Would that make you upset? Would that bother you? Okay, now you have half of an understanding 
of what people thought about Matthew. This is the kind of guy that Matthew was. He was a traitor. He was selfish. And he was a coward. That's what he was. But one day, that traitorous, selfish coward met a man named Jesus, and Jesus invited him to leave this part of his journey to join Jesus for a mission that involved another kingdom. It wasn't the kingdom of the Herods. It wasn't the empire of Rome and the Caesars. It was a capital K kingdom that is the kingdom of God, something that was going to quietly come in small and grow to become something, like I just described earlier, that could never be destroyed to this day. And so he invites them into this. It's a kingdom that uh, would never tax its citizens. It's a kingdom that would one day be filled with generosity. It's one that is defined by sacrificial love and monstrous courage. It's the kingdom of God. That is what Matthew was invited into. And for some reason, think about this. For some reason, that day, Matthew saw something in this 30-year-old man named Jesus that convinced him to leave all that behind to follow him. Literally, guys, like you've got to stop thinking of a felt board storytelling Christianity. It's like him showing up to the oil field and saying, get out of your truck, follow me. No, 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 no but I got a pension. I've got these things going on. I'm like three years from retirement. I got blah, blah. And follow me. And he's going, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Done. I'll follow you. Right? And for Matthew, there's greater consequences because you know that the, the Romans, when they uh, get Matthew, what do they do? They say, Matthew, hey, you help us out, kid. You tax these people. You know them better than we do. You know how many kids they've got. You know what's going on. You know, okay, uh, you help us tax them, and you can take a little off the top as much as you want, and we will protect you. So when he's leaving this job, he's leaving more money than he's ever had in his life, more than he ever imagined, and he's leaving the protection of Rome, right? He's now walking the streets with nobody guarding his back. I think the chosen displays this really well. And, uh, but for some reason, Matthew goes, I'm going to follow this guy. And his journey changes forever. Okay? It's just, it's amazing. Now, listen, guys. Every one of you are just like Matthew. You're on a journey. All of you guys are coming from somewhere, and somehow you arrived here of all places in Cody, Wyoming. I meet people all the time. You do too. I meet people all the time. I'm like, hey, what's the first question you ask somebody when you meet them? Yeah, what brought you, or where are you from? Are you from Cody? And if they say yes, I go, well, then where have you been? Right? Like, I haven't seen you before, right? But most of the time, what do they say? Uh, please be quiet. I'm from California. <laughs> right? And I'm like, hey, listen, you're okay, you know. Um, but seriously, you better stop that stuff, right? That's what you usually say. Uh, so, People are coming in. Every one of you are on a journey, and somehow you arrived in Cody, Wyoming. It's weird. It's weird that we live here, right, Bonnie? It's the weirdest thing. Um, like, how, like, what in the world? How do we get When I look back at the story, something led me to be here. Something led you to be here. All of you have been on a journey, and some of you, Jesus came along in the middle of that journey, and there was something about Jesus that caused you to say, enough of being the leader of my life. I want this guy to lead from here on out. And so what we're doing today is we're starting a journey through this book, and it's, it's my prayer, it's the elders' prayer, it's the leaders of Outpost prayer, that as we go through this book, uh, one of two things will happen, and it depends on whether or not Jesus is your Lord or not. Number one, if, if Jesus is not your Lord, like you just don't believe that he is God, like you're still in your tax booth going, I don't know if I want to follow that guy. That's fine. My hope is that you'll continue to come to this place where you're going to hear us teach about this account that Matthew gives us, and you hear why Matthew left to follow him, my hope is that you will go, okay, I want to follow that guy. I want to follow him for the rest of my days, and whatever he says, I want to do. And for some of you in this room, guys, who are Christians, and I love you to death, I pray that you guys and me, that we will all decide 
to be even more devoted this year in 2023 to following this Lord than we've ever been in our life. Not just for your sake, which is going to be riches upon riches, but for the sake of this town who are needing a group of people who are not afraid of Chinese balloons, who are not afraid of communism, not afraid of presidents, not afraid of taxes. They're going, listen, we're just not afraid. We've got a God and he's taking us somewhere and we trust him. And I'm not afraid of honesty on Monday nights. And you're confessing your sin to them. I know there are people in here. You're here because somebody told you some crazy crap about their life. And you couldn't believe it. And you're like, whoa. Like, why are you so honest? And it's because you had stuff in your life that you were trying to hide. And you're like, man, is there a place I could go where I could finally be honest about my life? And it's because you met a kingdom citizen. And my hope is that we will become more potent kingdom citizens than we've ever been in our entire life. That's my prayer. So we're going to dive into Matthew. You excited? You excited? All right. Some of you might have just been convinced you never want to come back. Uh, and that is the hard but beautiful thing about being in and around these outpost people is that we live with an expectation. We just, don't, we just don't feel comfortable with talking about things and ever walking about things. And we start first, not with you, we start first with our own self and go, man, there's stuff in my own life. And so we're going to get into Matthew. We're going to dive into this thing, and it's going, to, it's going to answer a lot of questions for us. And So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to break down today into three parts, because I'm not actually teaching Matthew today. Okay? Surprise, surprise. You go, oh, you know, you're breaking the laws of Christianity. No. What I want to do is I want to give you, take a whole morning, and I'm already wasting way too much time. I want to take a whole morning to just give you the 30,000-foot the view of Matthew before we go in. Okay, because our edu educational system sometimes is really backwards and messed up. In biology, at least when I went to college, they started with atoms and then worked us out to giraffes, which I go, that's backwards. Like, take me to the giraffe. I go, I know what that is, right? I can get the right answer on that test, all right, and work me down to the atoms, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to start big, and then we're going to work small. So we're going to first look at the book. Who wrote it? When was it written? How was it written? And how does it compare to the other Gospels. That's what we're going to look at first. Then, guys, I'm going to read you an overview of the entire book of Matthew. All right? I'm not going to read you the entire book of Matthew because you guys are wimpy and you would quit halfway through. Uh, and then last thing I'm going to do is I'm going to invite all of you into an opportunity. All right? It's always been there for you. I'm not going to say anything new, but I'm going to invite you into a beautiful, wonderful opportunity. And guess what? It's challenged by choice. You don't do it. I don't care, all right? You're just missing out, and that's on you, not on me, all right? That's what we're going to do. The book, an overview, and an opportunity. You ready to do this? You got a pen? If you don't, come on, man, all right? Grab somebody's pen. You need to write some things down. Open the book of Matthew. Go to the first page where it says the Gospel of Matthew. They're, they give you some blanks, uh, blank real estate at the top of that page, there's some stuff I want you to write down in that blank real estate, okay? So every time you come to Matthew for the rest of the year and you open up there, you're reminded of some high uh, perspective, high value things. All right, let's start off with this. Who wrote the book of Matthew? Anybody want to take a guess? <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. I love it. Matthew. Matthew wrote the book of Matthew. Does it ever say that in the book? No. None of the Gospels actually uh, say or uh, make a claim towards who the author is, okay? None of them do that. But since the very beginning of the early church, historical writings and early church manuscripts of, the math, of Matthew have all accredited it to Matthew, saying that it is the account of Matthew, okay? Now, when did he write this? There's a reason why this is important. Uh, maybe not important to you, but it is kind of important, is that he wrote this somewhere around the late 50s to early 60s. Now, why is that important? Something happens in 70 AD. Anybody know? destruction of Jerusalem, right? The downfall of Jerusalem. You know that there's a man who predicted that downfall? His name starts with a J and rhymes with Jesus. Anybody? Jesus, okay? When we go through Matthew, you're going to find out. Jesus goes, hey, not one stone will be left on top of another. So it matters that it was written in 50 to 60s, okay? Because there are things in it that predict what happens next and the downfall of Jerusalem, okay? So that's who wrote the book and when it was written. Now let's talk about who was it written to? Was it written to you? All right, come on, guys. Was it written to you? No, it's not written to you. God, you self-centered people. 
It's not, listen, let me change it. It's not written to you, but yes, it is written for you, okay? Now, you got to go, well, what's the difference? Let me show you the difference. Um, are you American? Most of you, we do have some Canadians. Nod to them, all right? They feel weird in here right now. Listen, they're not going to tax you, all right? But if they do, they know how we feel, okay? Um, it's, written, it's not written to you, but it is written for you. In other words, you're not the person that Matthew was thinking about when he wrote this. But there are just an infinitely deep and rich amount of things that you can pull from it for your life. Okay? You understand the difference? Now, understanding who it's written to is extremely important. All right? And this is where things get really interesting and really fun uh, for me. Okay? Without a shadow of a doubt... This account of the Gospels was written specifically to Jewish Christians, all right? So in that little blank space, go, this is written to the Jewish Christians or to the Jews, all right? Write that down. Nobody's even moving, so you guys don't care. It's great. You know, I work hard all week and just prepare this for you, and you're just like, whatever, all right? Um, So this is written to Jewish Christians, and most likely, okay, though we can't prove it, It's probably written to uh, the Syrian church of Antioch, all right, the famous church that sent out Paul and Barnabas. It's a beautiful example of a church, ethnically diverse, and there are a lot of Jews in Antioch, and so he's probably writing it to them. Now, why does it matter that he's writing to the Jewish Christians? Well, that shows up in the way that Matthew articulates uh, this good news of the gospel, okay? The way he writes this it affects the way, or who he's writing to affects the way that he writes it, all right? When I write a note to my wife, it's a lot different than when I write a note to Brad Taylor, okay? He may be thankful for that note, but I say a few other more loving things to him that would be weird for Kim if I was writing it to Brad. Does that make sense? Okay, no, all right? It's like, Everybody listening on the podcast, listen. They are smart people. They're just still waking up. All right, let's keep going. Each of these Gospels, okay, uh, has a theme to it, and Matthew's account can be summed up in one word. This word is extremely important for you to write down at the top of Matthew, and the word is fulfilled. Okay, everybody say fulfilled. There we go. I'm proud of you. All right, so the key word in Matthew is fulfilled. You'll see chapter after chapter after chapter, oh, time and time again, Matthew says the word fulfilled. Now, why does he do that? He's doing that because he's writing to Jews. And what he's saying is there are things in, Jewish, uh, in the Jewish canon, we call it now the Old Testament, that predict what's going to happen with this Messiah. And so what you'll see is over and over and over, Matthew will say things like, Jesus said this to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet so-and-so. Or Jesus did this to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet so-and-so. Do you hear what I'm saying? So he's not writing that the Greeks because they're not fluent in Jewish history. But who is fluent in Jewish history? The Jews. They, all of Matthew is written in such a way that Jews would see without a shadow of doubt, this is the Messiah they've been waiting for. Let me show you some cool things about that. Number one, it opens up, if you look in Matthew chapter one, what's the first thing you see there? A list of names, right? It's a genealogy. That genealogy tracks the genealogy, genealogy of the Jews from Abraham to Jesus. That's significant. Next week, I'll talk to you more about that. You're going to see how you can get so much life out of a list of names. It's going to be great. And so he specifically highlights two great men, and that's Abraham and David. And the reason why he does that is because for the Jews, there is an amazing promise made to Abraham that they would become a blessing to the whole world. And Matthew's going, hey, that blessing is this man. And there's an amazing, amazing promise to David that one day there's going to be a king who comes who's going to create an eternal kingdom, and this king's going to sit on, that, on the throne of that kingdom forever. And Matthew's trying to say, hey, that king we waited for, it's this man, Jesus. All right, so you got the genealogy. Also, Matthew is also made up of five sermons. Anybody ever heard of the Sermon on the Mount? That's sermon number one. There are five sermons throughout the book. I'm going to give you a highlight of everything here in a minute. 
why do you think that there's five sermons in the book of Matthew? Anybody know? How many books are in the Torah? There's five books in the Torah. There's five sermons in the book of Matthew. For some of you, this is really fun. The rest of you, it's a snoozer. That's fun to me. I'm like, dude, this is brilliant, okay? So time and time again, you see that. Now, so there's explicit references to, man, Jesus did this, fulfilled that. Jesus said this, fulfilled that. And then there's other implicit things where you see that the life of Jesus matches. Like if you're a Jew, you go, oh, man, I know what that is. He goes into the wilderness for 40 days, all right, to fast. What does that remind you of? The Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years. Okay, you see that? He, when he is young, the Herods come to kill him, and his family has to run to Egypt, and he's in Egypt until Herod dies, and then he comes back out. What does that remind you of? The people of Israel going into Egypt, being growing up, and then coming back into the land of Canaan. Do you see what's going on here? It is explicitly for the Jews. It is an amazing, amazing, amazing book, okay? Now, how does this, this book, this account, how many, how many accounts are there of the life of Jesus? You know? Four. Good. Look at this. I love it. Jeff, stop answering. You're giving them the answers. We all know you know, all right? Okay? There's four accounts. Now, how does this account uh, uh, relate to the rest? Well, here, let me just tell you some fun stuff. You ready for this? Okay, there are what's called the synoptic gospels. Everyone say synoptic. Okay, all this basically means is like Christians like to make themselves sound smart. It's going, these three are the same. All right, and then there's one that's not. Okay, the three that are the synoptic or the kind of like, they're kind of syncopated, they're similar, are what? Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Okay, John is out there rogue and he is just his own cat. And we'll talk about that in a second. But so Matthew, the key word is fulfilled, but Mark, the key word is immediately. If you read Mark, you'll see such and such stuff happened, and immediately this happened. And then immediately this happened. You'll see it again and again and again. Why does he do that? Well, he writes to the Romans. And the Romans are my kind of guys, man. They like action-packed movies. They like to punch and punch and punch. And so he writes to the Romans in a way that they go, man, this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened right here. But Mark has some similar stories to Matthew. So you see how him writing to them changes the way he takes true events and shares them? Luke writes like it's a uh, history channel type thing, all right? And you know why? His personality, guys. He's a doctor and he's a historian. So he's like, so this guy actually had this disease specifically. And then he, he like gives more details on what kind of disease people have. Whereas Mark's like, ah, he got sick and then Jesus healed him and immediately this happened. Okay? And so Luke's like getting into the details, man. Nitty gritty. She had this kind of disease and blah, blah, blah. So that's kind of why Luke writes that way. And then John, who just thinks he's so special because he's the one loved by Jesus, he, he writes from like a completely theological standpoint. He's like artsy. All right? He's like, he's like some of my friends, man. Like, he's the guy just like, the, like, he's just worshiping out with the stars by himself, you know? He's just different. And so the first three, the one way we could describe this is, they tell the story of Jesus from earth towards heaven, and John tells the story of Jesus from heaven to earth, okay? At the beginning of John, he opens up with this super confusing, poetic thing where he's like, you know, then the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and he was there before the beginning. You're just like, what are you talking about, John? Right? And it's beautiful. It's beautiful, but it's different. So now you understand, right? That's kind of the, these four Gospels, they don't contradict each other, but they paint up a little bit of a mosaic, okay? When you put them all together, you get this big, beautiful picture of what really happened. And you guys have heard this time and time again. When you see the differences in the accounts, Okay, it's just like when you and your wife see something and then you'll both go, well, no, it was actually like this, right? So the same kind of thing is happening. But they're all being empowered by the Holy Spirit to share what Jesus has done. All right? You hear that? Is that helpful? So what's the key word for Matthew? Fulfilled. Say it again. What's the key word for Matthew? Why is it fulfilled? Because it's written to the? Jews. Okay, awesome. It's helping the Jews understand that God is doing something that now includes the Gentiles and the fulfillment of everything. And then his, Jesus' move towards the Gentiles is proof that they can follow Jesus towards the Gentiles. You get that? Okay. You ready for an overview of this whole amazing book? All right, let's go.
I love it. I'm going to pretend you're super excited. Here we go. So what I'm going to do, okay, if you have your Bible in your lap, I want you to just like do what you can to keep up, all right? You don't have to read it, but you'll see there's little titles through there, okay? Let's just see if you could keep with me. Occasionally, I'll say chapter number just to, you know, help you feel comfortable, all right? Chapter one. You ready? Chapter one recounts the origin, the birth, and the identity of Jesus the Christ, moving from his genealogy in 1 through 17 to his birth. Then Magi, a Gentile group, come to adore Jesus in chapter 2. So while Israel's king, Herod, tries to kill him at the end of chapter 2. John the Baptist heralds the arrival of the kingdom and calls Israel to repent in preparation for God's new work in chapter 3. Surprisingly, Jesus participates in this baptism at the end of chapter 3. Empowered and led by the Spirit, Jesus resists the temptations of the evil one in chapter 4, then launches his public ministry in Galilee. His miracles attract crowds from which Jesus selects disciples. Matthew contains five great discourses found in chapters 5 through 7, 10, 13, 18, and 24 through 25. Like songs and the best musicals, these discourses propel the narrative forward by arriving at the perfect moment. The first discourse, the Sermon on the Mount, trains the early disciples, although the crowds listen in in chapter 5. The sermon opens by describing the blessed character of a disciple, then names the world's reaction to disciples, ranging from persecution to praising God for their light. Jesus instructs his disciples in the right use of God's law, which he affirms and deepens in a series of lessons covering anger, adultery, divorce, truth-telling, non-retaliation, love of enemies, and ultimately, God-like perfection. Jesus warns that the religious practices, alms, prayer, fasting, are dangerous if performed to impress men in the beginning of chapter 6. True religion serves God rather than money, demonstrating trust in him through freedom from the worry or materialistic pursuits. Further, genuine disciples do not use Jesus' teaching to judge others. Instead, seeing the depths of Jesus' commands, they ask for aid in chapter 7. Jesus closes by summoning his disciples to choose the right path, to become fruitful trees, and to build on the right foundation at the end of chapter 7. As the first ministry of the word ends, the ministry of deeds begins. With works often performed by his words in chapter 8, Jesus begins with two surprising miracles, benefiting a leper and a Roman occupier. Miracles attract potential followers who cannot fathom the cost of full discipleship at the end of chapter 8. The next miracles show Jesus' power over nature, the sea, demons, and disease somehow connected to sin at the beginning of chapter 9. This leads Jesus to call sinners to himself. Additional miracles demonstrate Jesus' power over all disease, even, in chapter 9, death. All right? Once the disciples have seen Jesus' pattern for ministry, he calls 12 as his apostles and commissions them to meet Israel's needs. This is the second sermon. This opens the second block of teaching regarding mission. Jesus charges his disciples to follow the pattern they have just witnessed in his life to be fearless yet wise in the face of inevitable opposition and to anticipate reward for their role in the master's work. The opposition foretold in chapter 10 flowers into chapters 11 and 12. Ominously, even John the Baptist doubts Jesus, but Jesus tenderly assures and commends him at the beginning of chapter 11. Next, Jesus warns the impenitent of Israel while assuring those who seek to rest in him at the end of chapter 11. Conflicts over the Sabbath soon heighten tension with Israel's leaders. Jesus is the servant of God, but Israel's leaders are blind. By now, even his healings rouse hatred. Nothing counts as evidence for his foes, and so Jesus will offer them nothing more 
the end of chapter 12. This opposition leads Jesus to his third discourse. In a series of eight parables, Jesus declares that his kingdom is present, opposition with, with not, uh, notwithstanding. Even if it be small and harried, its surpassing value and final size signal its supreme worth at the end of chapter 13. Events validate Jesus' comments on opposition and slow growth when John is slain and crowds witness a miracle but think nothing of it. At least the disciples are impressed by Jesus' power when he claims, when he calms a second storm. Still, when Jesus enters into controversy with Jewish leaders about rituals, the disciples hardly understand him. If anyone appreciates him, it's a Canaanite from Tyre. After a string of miracles, the Pharisees and Sadducees almost incredibly asked Jesus for a sign in chapter 16. This leads to a series of events in which the disciples vacillate, then confess Christ, then falter, demonstrating that they do not understand Jesus after all. Still, additional revelation, especially in the transfiguration, fosters growth in chapter 17. A fourth block of teaching constitutes chapter 18. As though the teaching, uh, as before, the teaching answers a pressing need, for the disciples must learn how to live in community with one another. This includes caring for the little ones, seeking the lost, addressing uh, problems with brothers' sins against, when a brother sins against a brother, and forgiving freely all who repent in chapter 18. Questions of greatness, moral standards, and achievement continue into chapters 19 and 20. Over several conversations, Jesus tells disciples, uh, neither to aim low for minimal decency nor to aim high and overweening pride. He also warns that doing great things for God can lead them to think more of God's rewards than of his grace at the end of chapter 19 and beginning of chapter 20. Above all, Jesus models the, greatest, the greatness that comes from loving sacrifice. It is the path to glory before, both for Jesus and for them at the end of chapter 20. Next, Jesus enters Jerusalem and symbolically judges it, especially in the temple. This launches additional conflict with leaders who question Jesus and attempt to trap him. In response, he tells the stories that castigate them. The verbal sparring ends when Jesus warns his disciples to beware of the scribes and the Pharisees. His denunciation of their hypocrisy is sharp yet poignant, for he still longs to gather Israel to himself. Jesus laments over Jerusalem in chapter 23, uh, and it leads logically to his fifth discourse, addressing eschatology, or the end, in chapters 24 and chapter 5. Although the disciples want to know when judgment will come, Jesus instructs them to stay ready for, uh, for Jesus whenever he comes. They must watch, for they will, uh, they will long wait for Jesus. Meanwhile, they must use their talents to good effect until Jesus uh, does indeed come. Then all flesh will stand before him and hear his final word, either to come to me or depart from me. Next, Jesus warns the disciples of his impending crucifixion once more in chapters 26, 1 and 2. Soon the chief priests plot Jesus' death, which Judas facilitates, even as a juxtaposed scene shows how Jesus' followers love him. After arranging his final Passover meal, the first Lord's Supper, with his disciples, Jesus withdraws to pray in chapter 26. There, Judas betrays him. Soldiers arrest him, and his disciples abandon him. Within hours, the authorities try, condemn, abuse, and crucify Jesus. He continues his ministry from the cross until he chooses to relinquish his spirit at the end of chapter 27. Almost cinematically, Matthew intercuts scenes of human failure with scenes of Jesus' heroic endurance. He is faithful to the end, even as Peter denies Jesus, Judas betrays him and then kills himself, and a crowd prefers Barabbas to Jesus. After Jesus perishes, a series of events hint at the significance of his death. Then Jesus' disciples tend and bury his body, and the Romans set a guard on his tomb in order to prevent false rumors 
of his resurrection. These feeble attempts to control rumors of resurrection cannot thwart God's power or the resurrection itself. And after appearing to his disciples on Easter morning, Jesus meets them again in Galilee and commissions them to make disciples of all nations. And that is the book of Matthew. Come on. Amen. That is what we are going to journey into in 2023. And it's going to take us some time to go through the entire book, but that's what we're going to do. And are you guys excited? I'm deeply excited. So let me just tell you real quick about an opportunity you have to partner in this journey with me and with those who teach on the stage to learning and knowing and obeying uh, what Matthew's going to reveal to us through, about Jesus. All right, y'all ready for an opportunity? Okay. All right. Whoa. All right, I like it. Here we go. An opportunity. Okay, so listen, guys. Go back to the very beginning where I started. Matthew, who's a Jewish betrayer, this is crazy, is the one who writes the greatest gospel to the Jews. See how insane that is? And the reason why he did it is because Matthew was given an opportunity to turn and follow somebody who most people would have said, you should not walk with this guy. But Jesus says, I'll walk with that guy. All right? And Matthew was given another opportunity by the Romans, as I said earlier. If you help us get taxes from these people, bud, we'll let you get some money off the top, and hey, we will protect you if they decide to come after you. Matthew was given an opportunity, not just from the Romans, but from Satan himself. And in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus gets the same opportunity that Matthew got. Matthew chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Listen carefully. The angel of darkness, who is real, y'all, offered Jesus the world. But if he got the world, he has to, just like Matthew, abandon God abandon his friends, abandon his people, and bow down to Satan. And friends, that same offer is going to be made to you in 2023. It is made to you every single day of your life. Because Satan wants to offer you the world. And if you just follow the world, they will protect you. You're going to get a little off the top. And hey, it may hurt other people, but don't worry, we will protect you. The world knows you and will accept you as its own when you walk as the world. But Jesus, when he gets this offer from Satan, the same offer, guys, that you get every single day. I get it every single day. Jesus responds. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, in him only shall you serve. That's Jesus' response. And then Jesus begins his ministry and walks up to a man who said, okay, Satan, I'll take the world. And Jesus comes and offers him grace. The end of this moment where Jesus is standing with Satan, it says the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. Guys, Matthew was invited into the same thing that every one of us were invited into, and Paul articulates this specifically in Ephesians chapter 2. Guys, listen to me. You are sons of Satan and daughters of Satan. All of you. If you do not make the same, to say the same thing that Jesus said. And Ephesians chapter 2 makes it clear that all of us were following the course of this world. The prince, the power of the air. The spirit that is at work and the sons of disobedience. And it says this, verse 3, among whom we all want lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and our mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Guys, that's exactly who you are or you were. Because some of you also know what Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 say. Anybody know what it says? But God. And listen, Matthew had a but God moment when this Jesus walks up to his tax booth and says, hey, I want you to follow me. 
He goes, man, I, was, I, I chose what Satan offered me. I wanted to have the world. I wanted to have the money. I wanted to have the protection. And I didn't care that I lost my family and I lost my culture and I was abusing my friends and nobody wanted to be with me. I got what I wanted in the world. And I just couldn't imagine that God would love me. And then suddenly this man, Jesus, comes along and I had a but God moment, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved Matthew. He made me alive together with Christ. It is by grace that I have been saved. Brilliant. Brilliant. And so guys, listen, you have the same offer today. If you do not know Jesus, and listen to me, showing up to a church service does not mean you know Jesus. It, doesn't, it could really mean nothing at all. There's a lot of Christians that the world doesn't want to be a Christian because they see these Christians, they go, you're no different than us. You're in the tax booth with us. I don't care what you do on Sunday. But, listen, friends, Jesus is coming to you right now this morning going, hey, but I will give you grace. Follow me. And some of you guys who are Christians already, he's saying, listen, I know you made a mistake last week. I know what you've done. I know the intent of your heart. I know every single intent of every heart throughout the entire American government, Russian government. I know exactly what's going on everywhere. But let's keep it on you for a moment. I just want you to know that even though I know all that, I want you to follow me. I'm inviting you to come with me. Because my grace is for you and my grace is sufficient. So here's the invite, guys. Here's the first invite. Number one, show up again to study Matthew with us. All right? I know I just, I just like tore down Sunday services, but I want to invite you to continue to show up on Sunday mornings because this is an opportunity for you to learn what Matthew is actually trying to share with you, this man who's just like you, and what he's trying to share. And I think you should keep showing up on Sunday mornings, not because I give a care about how many people are in this room, because I care about what you're going to learn in this room. And somebody's got to tell you something other than the world is telling you, and I think it's going to happen in here. Number two, uh, I want to invite you Take a step into learning the word apart from me, okay? So here's what I want you to do. I want to invite you guys to read the next week's passage before you get to next week. You understand what I'm saying? It's not really that hard. So you got homework, all right? If that scares you, all right, deal with that. Come on Monday night, confess it. We'll deal with it together, all right? But I want you to read what's coming next, which is going to take some diligence on your part to pay attention when we tell you what's coming next, and then read it. Guys, it's not that hard. Some of you do some incredible work. That is nothing. So here's what you want to know where we're going next? Next week, Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Go read it. Go read commentaries. Go listen to podcasts. Do whatever you want. Go and read it. Show up next Sunday knowing more about it than me. And then we'll just have this little mutual time, and Jeff won't be the only one answering all my questions. You cool with that? Because God wants to speak to you just as much as he speaks to me when I'm studying it all week so that I can speak to you. And I know more about these passages than I can tell you in 45 minutes. So go and learn them. You got me? That's invite number one, come on Sunday. Invite number two, study what's going to be on Sunday before we get here. All right? You're not ruining the story. All right? Here's the next thing I want to invite you to do. Christians, listen to me. Tell somebody what you're learning. Go find your own little mini stage and be like, I just got to tell you, man. There's like, all, there's like 42 generations and there's Abraham guy that made a covenant, blah, blah, blah. And you just tell them, they're sitting coffee and going, look, man, I just want to know, are you going to come to the Super Bowl party or not? Right? You're like, yeah, 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 I'll be there. But check this out. Okay? Tell somebody about it. If you're in a community here, you're a member at Outpost, you're a part of a community, come to your community team going, guys, I don't know what Greg's going to say on Sunday, but check this out. And someone go, I didn't even see that. You just have this little circle where you're all just studying and learning and teaching, right? Okay, great. Do it. That's invitation number three. Here's invitation number four. Do not be learners of the word only. Be doers. Decide right now that whatever you learn, you're going, I'm going to try that out. I'm going to, I'm going to stomp on that ice and see if it will hold me. Listen, y'all, I had plenty of time to test the warnings of God, and I found them all to be true. And I'm going to spend the rest of my life testing God's warning or testing God's promises. And I've been stomping on this ice. And I'm telling you right now, Jesus has never let me down. Yeah, I got a flat tire. I got a toilet that won't flush. And I'm the worst tape and mutter guy you've ever met in your life. But Jesus has never let me down. 
Yeah, I found out last month that my dad's still in prison. Yeah, I found out there might be some cancer in our family this past week. But my Jesus has never left me, let me down. Yeah, there's a balloon flying over. Yeah, there's things happening. Yeah, there's a lot of things I feel like I can't control. My Jesus has never let me down. I'm stomping on this ice, and I'm telling you, follow me as I follow Christ. Come out onto the ice with me. You sitting there, Jeff did a great job on this. You standing on the bank, this is the bank. You sitting in here, standing in the bank, go, oh, yeah, I believe that ice will hold me. And I go, well, come on out, bud. And you don't come out on the ice, you know what I tell you? It's like, you're a coward. You don't actually believe this. So stay on the bank, but let's just be clear you're not on the ice. But guess what? You're invited. So this year in 2023, whatever we learn together, I want to invite you to just try it out. Do it. Try it. And if it gets you killed, man, to live as Christ, the die is game. All right. <laughs> hey, back in 2019, listen, you're going to get, look, we're going to get killed for this. Like, the, the sooner you guys can, so it's like, wait, I always tell, when I was a youth pastor, I would tell this to kids. I, I don't even have, a, I don't have my watch. I don't know what time it is. Okay, listen. Uh, when I was a youth pastor, I would tell kids, like, hey, make your decision that you're not going to sleep with your boyfriend before you get in the backseat of the car. You make that decision months in advance so you're never in the backseat of the car. Does that make sense? Because when you're in the backseat of the car, it's hard to make that decision, right? At least as a teenage dude it was, right? Uh, and so here's what I would tell you. Make the decision today you will die for Jesus. And if God wants to give you that opportunity, that blessed opportunity, then at least know. Some of you learning how to die for Jesus is, is being kind to your wife when you're talking to her. Sometimes you dying to Jesus is you being patient when that guy rips you off. It's, it's, it's when your boss is reaming you and it's actually somebody else who did it and you just take that and you go, I'm going to cross on back. Jesus, I'm with you. And this isn't even compared to what you did for me, Jesus, but thank you I get to be a part of what you did. Learn to die today and choose in 2023. This is the year that you decided I will die for Jesus. Stop with this crappy, disgusting Christianity and decide, I want to really follow him. And he, you want to sing this song? You're worthy of it all? Let's try it, guys. You're going to fail. Everybody knows that. That's why we've got Monday night. You're going to fail. But have you given it a shot? You're going to give it a shot. Hey, in 2019, I signed up for an ultra marathon. And let's just be real clear, guys. I think running is stupid. And I do not like to run. I'm not interested in running, okay? And I still run because uh, I believe doing hard things is beneficial. And so I decided to do this running race, 32 miles. My friend Annika, she was going to do the 18. I'm just humble bragging. I did twice as much as her, um, almost, anyways. And so, uh, anyways, go do this race. I literally ran six miles a week for two months leading up to it, all right? But in my head, I was like, I could do this. And so here's the thing about, I got invited on this journey to go run a 32-mile race. The only thing I knew was there's going to be some highs and there's going to be some lows, all right? And, uh, and I'm going to cover 32 miles. The longest I had run prior to that, 13 miles, years before. So I'm not like coming off the back of that, you know, investment. And so I sign up, I go do this race, and I, we take off, all right? And it was. I, had, I came immediately into the realization that there's some hills I just can't run, Right? that some 23-year-old girl next to me just cruises. I want to tell you guys that you're invited into this journey. There's going to be some hills you can't run. you got to walk, all right? There were some times where I would be on this 32-mile this race and somebody was carrying somebody else. I met, a, I met a woman who was walking with her 80-year-old mother who did the 100. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there might be a time where you need a younger fellow to carry you along as you finish out your race. There's going to be highs where I didn't expect there was going to be snow on the ground. I got to run in snow. I didn't sign up for this. There's going to be times when you follow Jesus, guys, that you're going to see things you didn't expect. It's going to be cold at the top. It's going to be hot at the bottom. Your knees are going to feel like they're going to explode when you're taking a five-mile downhill. But you need to understand that this invitation has its warnings. It's going to be painful. You'll see that in chapter 10 when we get there. All right? But this, this, this journey with Jesus does have a finish line. The end of this race as I was running, um, I, I mean, I was literally, I was like, went into praying. I was like, Lord, it's got to be around the corner. Like, where is it? And I'm running on this gravel road. It, it just like suddenly went, like, I don't understand how it was 45 at the top and like 90,000 at the bottom degrees. And so what I would do is I would literally, I'd go, I'll walk to that car. And so I'd walk to the car. I'll run to that mailbox. So I'd run to the mailbox. 
And I'm just, I've, ne- I've never been in such running pain in my life. And I was like, all right, now I'll walk to that lawnmower. I'll walk to the lawnmower. I'll run to that, you know, that truck. And I did this for three miles. And I got to the end. And here's what's funny. I get to the end, all right, I cross the finish line. Yes. Right? And my family and my friends are supposed to be there waiting for me. And I can't find them anywhere. <laughs> They're nowhere. All right? And finally, I run into Carson Kleinfeld. And he goes, you did it. But he did it more like a question. Like, you did it. Right? And finally, he, I was like, where is everybody? 45 minutes. I literally laid down under a tree, and I was like, I'll die here alone, you know? And finally, I see Annika, and what did Annika say? You really did it. You really did it, right? Okay? I want to promise you something. I don't care how you come across the finish line. If you give your life to Christ, he will sustain you to the end. And when you get to the end, there really will be Jesus waiting for you, rejoicing, and saying, enter into my rest. Well done, good and faithful servant. And it doesn't matter if you were 25th place or first place. He goes, well done. I'm glad you're here. Okay? You guys ready? The invitation is yours. Come on, 2023. Jesus, we want to follow you. If the finish line is soon, come, Lord Jesus. Father, just so thankful for this invitation that I've gotten and received 16 years ago. And I'm still running the race, and I feel like there have been times where I was on a high, and there's times where I've been on a low, but I'm so thankful that no matter where I've stood, you've been right there with me. Jesus, I've got friends in this room right now, and you know them by name, and they are not even on the trail. They have not started this journey with you. I pray that they would hear that you're the God who invites traitors, cowards, people who abandon their families, rob their neighbors, you invite those kind of men to join you and you use them to transform hearts in Cody, Wyoming. I pray that we'd be people like Matthew filled with your word and that we would follow you with obedience and when we fail, we would act like Christians always act. We'd just own it. We would receive your grace again and we'd take another step. I pray that there would be a revival beginning here in your people, Jesus. And they are yours, not mine. They are not outposts. They are yours. Win your people's hearts and affections in 2023, Lord. And may Cody be destroyed with the love of God's son. We cannot wait to see what you're going to do. We believe you are the God who carries and sustains in spirit. As we leave and we go out into the rest of our Sunday, Help us go out encouraged, salty and bright in your name. And to you be the glory and the power forever and ever.